0: This is Brain Fuzz, the art, music, and culture podcast with Joe Camusa and Matthew White. Today, Joe and Matthew unveil new theme music. They reflect on recent episodes. Creative fears and anxieties are eased. An audio pick of the day is offered. This is episode 20.
1: I think it's, uh, it's whimsical. No, it's not afraid to have a drink on a school night.
2: It's a little more human though. I like it. It's got it's some a little more human. It. It's got some rhythm. Good contrast. There's a nice, uh, nice dichotomy going there with the,
1: the <laughs> digital intro. Yeah. 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 It's approachable. Not intimidating. No. Yeah. yeah. It was time for an upgrade. I like it. It's like it was time the for an upgrade. Of,
2: uh, high life of interest. It's the high life of intros. Would that be bumper music? Yeah,
1: All right. I'm call it bumper
2: music. A uh, lot going on in Brain Fuzz Camp.
1: A lot going on. If um, so, we are on iTunes. You can you can discover us on iTunes. That's exciting. Episode it is exciting, twenty. Yeah.
2: We're on iTunes. Mhm.
1: Yeah. And uh, we've been available on Stitcher, on Google Play. And if you feel like you're missing something or you're missing an episode, you can always go to the website at brainfuzzpodcast.com. Catch up. Maybe a lost episode or two. But lately we've been talking with, let's see, episodes, I want to say 17 and 19, were creatives who had taken curatorial kinds of directions... And in all of these conversations, we're looking at how people create the different tracks that they take beyond just what you traditionally would think of when you think of the act of creating. So with Lacey Haslam, she actually is digging into what, what, what inspires people, what are the books that inspire them, and then she's sharing that with other people. And it really got me thinking about about creating and the anxieties that come along with creating and this is something you and I talk about quite a lot off mic.
2: Oh I know, I think it comes up on mic as well. And like just judging from uh, a cursory glance at the bookshelves over there, um, you know, how many books are written on this? We should probably write a book on this. Hell with the podcast. (laughs) I mean, you know, like Art and Fear is probably like the the classic Touchstone, but uh, you know. Say it again. What art, art and fear? Art and fear. Art and fear uh, is a classic. Dealing with you know obviously self doubt paralysis and etc. And it looks similar to. Uh, and I haven't read that yet, but uh,
1: I plan on reading. You're holding. Eric Maisel's Mastering Creative Anxiety. Now, this is broken down into 24 lessons, and Eric Maisel is uh, – Eric Maisel, Ph.D., is America's foremost creativity coach and a prolific creator who has written more than 30 books himself. But this book in particular is set up so that you get – you get these different – you can almost read it like a daily devotion.
2: Yeah, it's definitely got like the artist way, but maybe updated. Yeah. I did watch a couple interviews with him. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm familiar with some of his content.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, it seems like that's a very practical... It is. Uh, ...more of a results-oriented instead of, uh, you know, kind of one of those palliative, like, have a happy meditation in the morning, and then what? Versus what do you do when you're actually in trying to work, and you're having a total free-fall freak-out? Yeah. Yeah. Then what do you do? So, yeah. uh, serenity now! Serenity <laughs> now! Or so, do you just... Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Which is a danger. Well, and he actually speaks I directly to that. Yeah. I'm alone in here.
2: Well, hit me with some...
1: some I'm going to hit you with some stuff. We'll get, I, okay, you and I, we do talk about... We do talk about creation and the anxieties and the fears. But... Some of the real stuff we leave off, mic. I mean, let's just face it. Well, yeah, who wants the to... The restless nights. The, the <laughs> and I've told you some of, my, some of the things that I struggle with, and that's like rate of productivity. And it's uh-huh. like, you know, if you're, not, if you're not making a mark or you have a result at the end of each day, is that a wasted day? And you and I both know that the act of creation... I don't, it doesn't matter what you're doing as we've, as we've discovered right. yeah. with recent, with recent uh, conversations we've had, there is something in the subconscious, the unconscious that goes into that creation. And ultimately you see some result from that.
2: Right. But I think we're wired to think that every day that you're going to come out of the mind with, you know, whatever, yeah, you know, a pile of something to show for it. And, uh, you know, one thing that did stick out from one of his, uh, online discussions was that notion that maybe, and I b- really believe this in my own life that, you know, sometimes it's four or five days. I don't know if it's prep or just, you know, like whatever that is, doing the work to set yourself up for that yeah. mountaintop top kind of day where suddenly something really clicks and maybe, um, you finish a couple pieces or, or what have you, or yeah. you're finally just not, uh, thinking about all the, the mundane I think the, the pop psychology term would be flow you're experiencing mm-hmm. a state of flow mm-hmm. um, you know And again I think that's the danger of doing this every day is that it's harder to escape that and he brings up a word which I think I'm even afraid to admit to myself and you and I have talked about it but you know that notion of boredom because I mean you don't, it's hard to admit that to yourself if you have like what a luxury to be able to like make art every day day in and day out, but, you know, again, if you're, if you're feeling like you were saying that your production isn't where it needs to be, or you're feeling like you're wasting, uh, and, and balancing, you know, a career and all these other, you know, real life, uh, anxieties, um, I think there's a p- tremendous potential for burnout, you know, if it's all yeah. out all the time. Yeah. Uh, that's the occupational hazard. Yes. But but to say that out loud, which I'm doing right now, I realize like, wow, who wants to throw the first rock at me? I mean, you know, it's a terrible, or that's just my,
1: my good old Irish, Irish Catholic guilt going. Well, so he, one of the, it's amazing if you actually just open this book, chapter one, you actually read it. If you actually read the book, chapter one, he says, anxiety is part of the human condition And it is a much larger part than most people realize. A great deal of what we do in life, we do to reduce our experience of anxiety or to avoid anxiety altogether. Now let that sink in. Our very human defensiveness is one of the primary ways that we avoid experiencing anxiety. If something is about to make us anxious, we deny that it is happening. Make ourselves sick so that we can concentrate on our sickness get angry at our mate so as to have something else to focus on, and so on. We are very tricky creatures in this regard. And that actually, that chapter is, uh, chapter one is entitled, The Anxiety of Creating and Not Creating. And so you think about how much of your time spent in a practice is actually dodging that anxiety. Maybe you want to complain about the size of your studio or the amenities provided by your landlord <laughs> or lack of, <laughs> but how many of those things are simply enabling, enabling you to escape the real...
2: Yeah, but that's, that's the, you know, I think of the Francis Bacon, you know, like that, that screaming, screaming popes or what have you, you know, like yeah. that feeling sometimes when it's just like, all right, you know, when you're confronted with actually what needs to be done, which is like an unknown. Right. I don't know how I'm going to get from here to there. And yeah. Then if you you know, heat's not working and it's 17 out, it's a little easy to let's focus on that you know, instead. But, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many, is it, is it a platitude? Is that the right word? But like, you know, I, the notion like a life and art is a long race and not a sprint. You know, like I, I try to cling to some of these things, uh, I'm not, like, knitting them into, like, samplers or anything. But, uh, you know, like, when I'm in here working and sometimes when... It's like, say it's even sketchbook stuff. Is that... Because you, know, you always wonder, like, is this is this work? Is this art? Or is this a diversion? Is this, is this research? Is this R&D? What am I doing? And it kind of goes back to, like, that James Rosenquist quote. Like, when you're making art, you're constantly asking yourself what the hell you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I have to, you know, on a good day, if I can separate you know i I find myself having to talk myself down which is like it's got to be leading towards something you know this is like focused work and or focused reading constant kind of study research if you will but um you know whether you're putting it something into the pile or not like that doesn't mean it needs to leave the studio and maybe you know again it's i'm sure this is obviously nowhere near a one size fits all but um you know, again, do, you need to, do I need to make 10 things to get one? Do I need to make 50 things to get one? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of people... I mean, I guess that's why I, I read and that's why I think it's so critical to even... Like the Art 21 uh, interviews. There's a great one with Kiki Smith. where She was talking yeah. about why she's always working keeping and her hands moving. It's like, yeah. that hits
1: it on the head. Yeah. And, um, and how many conversations have we had recently where we're talking about artists who can't stop even in a conversation, those hands are still doing something.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think there. It is the answer is in the work and staying busy. And, uh, and, you know, maybe it's not in the studio. Maybe it's in the garden. Or it's in... I mean, I'm, that's why I find it so fascinating to talk to people and see what else they do. Do they cook? Do they, you know, do they garden? Do they climb mountains? I don't know. But I think you, you kind of have to have something... It's probably also symptomatic of age, I guess, Mm. which nobody likes to talk about, but, like, the anxiety seems to ratchet up. You think it would go the other way. And who was I listening to? I listen to a lot of podcasts in the wee hours, um, musicians and and artists and all kinds of stuff, but, uh, and it is a prevailing theme, though, in terms of just you know fear and doubt and how do you how do you keep going
1: this uncovered more anxieties than I originally
2: <laughs> are you more nervous now <laughs> I'm more nervous than, after reading this book no alright you setting me up to pay another 1995 for uh, his next book don't <laughs> you think about that sometimes he, though like when I see these like oh this is great but I'm like okay here's another like buying into some other like life coach or something that you know <laughs> It's, I'm not, I don't want to sound that cynical, but yeah, like no, I'm sometimes I'm like, no, oh, I "Come on, I know, I know the answers here." Well,
1: I'm not, I'm not paying for a weekend seminar at you know. Yet. Uh, yeah. The okay, so here we go. Let me just run through the anxieties. Oh God. The anxiety of creating and not creating. Oh, these are the chapters in mastering and Creating. The anxiety of creating and not creating. The anxiety of mattering and not mattering. The anxiety of identity. The anxiety of individuality, the anxiety of choosing the creative life, the anxiety of surviving, the anxiety, and I'm going to cut the anxiety of, I'm just going to, here we go. The anxiety of day jobs, choosing, compromising, possibility, working, thinking, ruining, failing completing attaching and caring ego bruising performing which I think is close to what we had just selling promoting procrastinating waiting and then once you think that you've reached that success repeating
2: repeating and, I guess and the anxiety the, of success I, feel like I really lost my train of thought there but I was talking about like when people reach a certain level of success that it, it continues to multiply because there is that fear of repeating and or uh, suddenly um, deadlines. Deadlines become a lot. You know, that's one thing if you've got an open-ended thing to, like, write your first novel. How about the second one when someone's paid you a bunch of money and now it's, got, it's due on, or your show is, you know, September 1... And that I think can really freak people out,
1: and they say that with re- like with recording artists. Yeah, that's why. The, you know, you you have what ten years to record that life to write that first record, and then two and months then to two work. months to write the second record,
2: and it shows so often.
1: Yeah, uh, with uh, unfortunately,
2: but um, you know, and I guess that's one of those, uh, you know, on the days when I literally start looking over, I'm on the second story here, and when I sometimes just stand on that railing <laughs> and look down, but I think uh, not high enough, but uh, you know, I think at least on a, thankfully at least I continue to, the only way is to work my way out you know, it always goes back to it's gotta be through the work, and whether that just means working on a sketchbook or you know, as long as I'm doing something I'm not saying it just makes it suddenly I'm, whisp- you know whistling uh, zippity-doo-dah hey, I can't whistle, which it's a profound regret in life. You know, I, there's a long quote here, and we could kind of go back and forth, but, you know... like, uh, And
1: I don't have this. This is... Oh, this is a classic. Sorry. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm uh, cribbing from Letters uh, to a Young Artist, which was, in, a, in and of itself, um, a riff on, I think, Letters to a Young Poet. And this is... Um, there's a number of artists that are solicited. Uh, John Baldessari, um, Gorilla Girls, Joan Jonas, Alex Katz... Kerry James Marshall, Elizabeth Murray, Thomas Noskowski, who I was going to read, Yoko, Adrian Piper, William Popell, Stephen Shore, Jessica Stockholder, uh, Lawrence Weiner, uh, any. Strong. And there's some others. And it's, it's, a, it's a good book. Um, I think it's. Uh, but Noskowski, who I always think of as like the ultimate like painter's painter, uh, this is kind of long, but bear with me. Uh, but there's one essential survival skill that you must learn, and it it's how to sustain yourself and your work over the years. There is really only one way to do this, and that is by loving what you do, being fascinated by your work, and by being obsessed with making art. You will get in trouble if you need the approval of others to keep your work moving forward. After all these years, the one essential element in my practice, the one thing I am sure of, is that I need to be interested in and happy about what I'm doing in the studio. Yeah. And I think, like, yeah, that's great. But then to put that in practice, again, when it's just you with four walls around you there is like this constant like sense of approval sometimes like like i said you know am i making art is this art am i making art uh you know or am i just making a bunch of squares in a you know on graph paper and is that is that losing my mind i joke about it constantly but i mean like i have to have there is at some base level there's some level of trust that like
1: it it has to it can't hurt yeah is that where the need to show comes in you think for I mean, me or for
2: other people?
1: No, and for, for for on average is I don't that no? Um, I mean that's a, that's a huge because there's am I going to make a living off of this? Am I going to survive doing this? There's that need oh, to show, wow. but then there's also the validation. Validation, you know, I can sit in my workshop and my studio and make things all day long that make me happy. Go to bed and feel. Most people need more than that.
2: Well, but I mean, I think the other is a is a shooting star. I mean, you know it's nice when you someone likes what you're doing you know via yeah. social media or someone buys your work that feels wonderful on on many levels but uh but it you know it 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 can keep you going, so to speak yeah, but, I mean, I still think it's gotta come from within because otherwise then you talk about either repeating yourself or what if people like something that you know maybe You're not 100% behind. I mean, you made it, but that's always an interesting thing to me. So, like, um, I don't know. Have you ever sold work or had work exhibited that was maybe you kind of thought of as, like, an outlier or kind of a one-off? But suddenly when someone takes an interest in it, you're like, oh, yeah. um,
1: That's always made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had something hanging somewhere, and it was probably, like, one of my first sales... To somebody I didn't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, which, which filled is, me with a lot of that's huge pride, happiness sure. and validation because I thought no one would be interested in this. It's a weird and in you know, in some ways it was an anomaly in terms of what it was, the object itself. But then also you don't want to fall into some kind of false sense of security of I'm going to always have people dancing into my life. <laughs> They're going to give me money for this type of thing right right
2: i guess maybe there there has to be a certain level of detachment because otherwise i think you know there's a tendency to then kill anything that doesn't seem to fit within you know like the the realm of whatever a particular body of work is and any and if you're breaking new ground of course you know hopefully it's not it is going to be different yeah and that's why like i think in a if you have the discipline to be able to put things away and let them sit for a little while and then look at them with fresh eyes or have like a Francis Bacon handler that can come in um, <laughs> and pull the work before he kills it. I mean, yeah. you know, Gustin would do that. He would have something completely done and then, you know, before he'd go to bed, just completely either scrub it down, scrape it off. That's one of the luxuries of having people. Like we just, you know, you know you think about having like an open studio you don't know who's going to come through, and they obviously. I've been doing this, thankfully, for a while now. You'd think it wouldn't bother me at all, and yet there, there is this stupid anxiety that crops up just with what do I want to put up mm-hmm. on the walls? Yeah, is it too much? Is it too little?
1: Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the anxieties here is the anxiety of. This is like
2: brain fuzz therapy. Is this a new session where we just like, what's troubling you, Matthew? Well, we're going to be offering a
1: weekend seminar. Yeah. You know, we uh, do private creative coaching. In the mountains. In the Blue Ridge Mountains, it'll be a combination of yoga. So this is important because it's also going to be a segue. No. The anxiety of identity... Chapter 3 in Eric Maisel's Mastering Creative Anxiety. Once we begin to really fall in love with a creative discipline, we begin the process of identity formation and begin to call ourselves a writer, painter, filmmaker, musician, singer, actor, and so on. As this process unfolds, we begin to add more and more pieces to this identity, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes not. We may add heavy drinking... (laughs) <laughs> and don't need anybody to our Ernest Hemingway version of our writer identity or manic depressive and highly sensitive to our Virginia Woolf version of our writer identity. Not so much because we are those things, but because we somehow think that they belong to that identity. Oh, I think right? that's yeah, it's totally there. Yeah. It, how do you preserve that core of that Purity, in the act of creating and building the thing that you want to see. Oh, well, it's purity, purity and truth. Those are like that.
2: I just don't like, there's no purity, there's no truth. <laughs> no, I'm. Oh, you? La- I'm serious. No. But, okay, yeah, so, no, no, you're. I, mean, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't going to go that deep. But you're right. No, but I, again, those are these myths, you know, yeah. of like whether you wear the the red beret or not, or. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, but that's like the, these myths of creativity, and I just think like to to free yourself with some of that stuff because, like, what Maisel was talking about in, in some of these books, which and, and it's in a lot of them. Like, I thought it was freeing to hear for once someone say, like, maybe, like, I said he called them like morning pages, and I guess mainly for writers. And if you're doing that to like prime the pump, yeah, uh, you know, like, but. The caveat is maybe that becomes a crutch and you're spending more time on that or leaving the good stuff in quote these, you know, morning pages, scrap notes, what have you versus doing your own work for an artist. I think that could be like sketchbooks sometimes get really precious. And uh, it's like, yeah, but sometimes you got to get out of the sketchbook and actually, you know, get in the into the what's on the wall or, you know, it's almost like a practice game type situation. Um, You know, so I I don't know. I guess I'm just really always on guard for like trying to not get into ritual and all these like just myths around it. Like I don't, you got to kind of have to dance around the fact that every day if you're going to try to make something like, if you're trying to do this cookie-cutter approach, I write five pages, have a bowl of bran, go for a walk. Yeah. You know, like, I, after a while, like, that's not going to work. And then what do you do? Oh, I start drinking at noon. And, uh, and then I start
1: drinking at 11. I approach and... the hive from the side. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like,
0: I, there is no...
1: I think that brings us to... I'm getting really
0: anxious. And now... The Brain Fuzz audio pick of the day.
1: Iggy Pops the Idiot. Wow. Where'd this come from? Oh. So, several reasons. When we were in Savannah, I picked it up finally on vinyl. First of all. That's story gave me
2: anxiety. The, yeah, it
1: did. And cops. And then outside, cops right? around across yeah, the outside. transitional area of town. Oh, it was fine. No, Iggy Pops the Idiot. It was actually his debut after the Stooges. Okay? Uh, It was the first of two... And and, and actually, this information... Expository information taken from Wikipedia. It was the first of two LPs released in 1977, which Iggy Pop wrote and recorded in collaboration with David Bowie. That's a classic story of those two meetings. uh, Okay, so widely regarded by critics as one of Pop's best works... But generally accepted as not representative of his output. Which may be why, yeah, which is one of the reasons it's my favorite, because I really am not an Iggy Pop fan. I'm, I, I, I'm not an Iggy Pop fan. Stooges. Not a Stooges fan. This album, a little different. China Girl, the version of China Girl on The Idiot. I much prefer to the Bowie version.
2: I I mean, I have to say, I'm not familiar with this record. Okay,
1: I'm telling you. Listen to it. It's crazy good. So Bowie had that like four or five years before he released it. So, yeah, because 77 and China Girl was early 80s, yeah. And Um, Stevie Ray
2: Vaughan playing on that.
1: Oh, that's right. Which is stupid That's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely bizarre that he was on that record. So... He wrote and recorded in collaboration with David Bowie. And this is generally accepted as the first the unofficial start of the Berlin period for David Bowie, right? Which the Berlin trilogy includes Low from 1977, Heroes 77 yeah. and Lodger in 79. Listening to The Idiot It all comes together, it makes sense. Bowie Escape to Berlin largely because of the drug problem, right? It's rumored. Which is one of the worst places to go if you're escaping <laughs> a drug problem. And which he later in, in interviews acknowledged that that was not maybe the best choice.
2: Where would be a good place to go in
1: 1977? <laughs> yeah, right. China Girl is the most obvious when you listen to China Girl on this and then actually appeared later on 1983's Let's dance. Let's dance. Yep. Yeah, um, but Sister Midnight was reworked later by Bowie as well, and it became Red Money on Lodger.
2: Okay.
1: Now, why are we bringing this up today? Besides the fact that I bought it on a recent <laughs> on a recent deep dive, Stooges had been gone for two years. Iggy had pretty much become non-existent. Checks into a mental hospital on his own. I
2: thought he moved back, because there's a story of Bowie going to... Like, knocking on, like, a a, mo- a mobile home a door. <laughs> yeah. Like, of his parents. Really? I haven't heard this. Or he sent a car. Mm-hmm. I mean...
1: I haven't heard this I need to do better research this would be but this would be a, this would make sense because yes I mean he, he was checks like... into the he's done he thinks he's done or he is done he was given another chance by Bowie and they co-write these songs um, and after the Stooges he takes this entirely new direction and essentially creates a new identity With the help of Bowie. What better man? What better man. But think about that. The anxiety of success. Yeah. And then how do you escape that? That persona that you've created, how do you escape that? Are you able to do it on your own? Do you do it with the help of someone else through a collaboration? I'm all ears on that one, man, because
2: I, I, I always, and we, I think we certainly have talked about it on mic and off mic, but it, Which, it seems like, wow, you know, if you're in a band
1: or you have a really good producer. How far could the Stooges have gone with the same old shtick?
2: I don't know, but I mean, you could say that about just about any band. I guess that's the thing. Yeah, I don't know. you think he had fear of success? He seemed pretty fearless in terms of I mean, just to read Mike Kelly's reactions of seeing uh, the Stooges early on. And Mike Kelly was Detroit, born and raised. Yeah. And, um, I mean, transformative. And, I mean, these are people that, like, scare still to this day, kind of. I'm, I'm afraid of people like that, you know? Like, I don't have that in, in me. But, like, you know, fear of success, that's something I don't, I don't think about that. I don't know how you think about that. But I can detach from my world and think like, I think once you have some, I can't even imagine what that must be like, whether it visual arts or a band, because suddenly everything is multiplied and that, everybody wants something. Yeah.
1: And that is the thing that it is it, most amazing to, in the conversations that we have and in the people that we meet, the work we see, the music that we listen to, um, is this notion of, you know, in the beginning, people are striving for something that they... Envision to be success. And then you watch some of these people and I imagine the same situation with Iggy pop here, you hit that. And then what? Well, and there's well, also that question. Is this really success? I've, I've arrived, but I don't maybe feel
2: like it. I'm sure it looks like success to us from the outside, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think even Bowie who were like, man, how many times did he reinvent? And, uh, you know, I think it's, like, we all look at it like it's a Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. production.
1: Um, so, are you familiar with Post-Pop Depression? No. So, Post-Pop Depression is Iggy Pop's um, collaboration with Josh Homme. Wow. And what makes it significant, besides the fact that it's actually good... Uh, <laughs> Post-Pop Depression was released in March of 2016 and what was amazing about the release of that record LP <laughs> what was great about the release of that LP was that it hearkened to that period the Berlin period Uh huh. and if I'm not mistaken shortly thereafter Bowie's death it's almost like Igging you something that the rest of us didn't know. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's... It, it, may, it makes for a good story, a good narrative after the fact.
2: All right, I, I want to dial back here for a second. Dial back. Because you're talking about, like, um, fear of success. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, we're looking at these archetypes, you know, like David Bowie. And, uh, and it's impossible to not look at it without the, the lens mm. of some nostalgia. Success is also one of those things that is like this horizon line and is success, David Bowie, or, um, I had a good friend recently? or is success paying the mortgage or is it just, you know, getting out of bed, uh, or having a bed. Well, of course, yeah. on base level, but, I mean, <laughs> yeah. no, but seriously, um, seriously, honestly, um, <laughs> But you know, like I had a, a good friend just you know politely remind me, even in my own life, you know, like I don't I don't feel like I'm an abject failure. I don't think of myself as like, oh my god, look at my thriving career. But sometimes maybe you kind of have to look at things on paper, and see you know how far you've got, or, yeah, or you know yeah, pull a drawer true. out and look at yeah. some of the older work. But yeah. so I I don't know, like what where are you going with that, you know, fear of failure in terms of you see it in terms of like something that's. A uh, uh, saboteur, you know like you certainly fear if there, there are those that seems like that' self-sabotage versus deal with you know the minute they think they might be getting
1: somewhere. I
2: mean the art world is certainly
1: full of Now I, you know it's weird because there are so many different I think people, I think that the goalpost keeps moving and that's the most dangerous part of it. Because so many people think that oh well I'll succeed when somebody I don't know buys my work because I've known good good well I've known teachers yeah. that later I found out no one had ever bought anything. But is that success? That's the thing. I think it's different for everybody. And right. I, it, but if, it, and if the goalposts don't move though, to me it's yeah. like then what? You well, think, they know, do need to move to a degree. If don't they're think? not moving, then you're um, not growing, and then. No, I think, I think, uh, getting someone to, someone to review a show or work is another one getting, but then you get someone to review it and then, well, it's not the right, you know, venue. Maybe I need, maybe I need a different publication if, if the right publication, Yeah, you know, I, I, and, but then it's okay. Well, I've only been in group shows. Maybe I'll be in a solo show. I'm in a solo show. And then you're, and then the next morning you're like, well, turnout was low, right? That's so true. it's so I think the, the the trouble with success is is um, first of all knowing what success is, but then maybe accepting okay, I've reached this goal or this milestone. Maybe success isn't something that we should look at as our black or white absolute kind of accomplishment, a thing. Maybe it's that the degrees of success.
2: I, uh, I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I'm trying to think, I've heard it said that, you know, almost a, you know, a career others give you for one thing, and that kind of comes, you know, when you're working really hard, you know, with, with the focus and intent, but um, especially, like, if we just pare it down to, like, say, visual arts, like, how much can you really plan for and work towards I mean, how no. there, there's a huge
1: amount of no. And then you look at black swan events that happen in, right. the, in individual careers, art world. But and... It's also
2: personal. I mean, there's those, those other factors of, you know, networking and personality and that sometimes that, that's in any field, but especially it's not necessarily about who's maybe making the most brilliant technical or conceptual work. Um, so is the definition I mean I really feel like you know we started out on this to me if, if I'm happy and feel like I'm working well in the studio and uh, covering breaking new ground like I feel content at the end of the day you know like that feeling of which, you know, it's easier with, like, physical labor. Like, you know, you're doing something big, you know, tons of yard work or something. There's a sense of accomplishment. And, but, I mean, like, I think I'm seeking something like that versus did somebody come in and say nice things about my work. Or, like, that that thankfully evaporates quickly. It feels good on the ego. But, like, I can't count on it. And it's like I still have to feel good
1: about, you know, there's something here. Building and demolition are some of the most rewarding careers because you you, you step back you look at that and you say, I did that. Yeah. What's tough about studio work is you don't get that feeling. Well, I, no, not every day.
2: And it's, and it's fleeting. And, um, you know, and it comes up, I mean, every time there's a group of people in here, I mean like that, this, this dialogue comes out and either I'm the biggest downer on the face of the earth or it's just like, and I, and I don't, I'm not turning into Chris Farley either. Like, you're probably going to (laughs) find. So it's a tricky, you know, uh, dance to find find inspiration and find people. Like, you know, like, it's great to find, say, a record. And I usually am finding it from music, you know. Uh, And you see how they, what, face down, you know, adversity... But it's you know unless if it's written well, otherwise if it's like a bad VH1 behind the music, you know, there's it's just like too quick with the denouement, Suddenly it's yeah yeah, Cuban Bon Jovi living on a whatever. Um, a prayer. Yeah.
1: It's <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a, it's so earlier. I thought you were gonna say that it was <laughs> it was a tricky dance on a slippery slope. I was starting to. Where mix are you going with uh,
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Connect with Joe and Matthew and find out more about this and other episodes at brainfuzzpodcast.com. On social media, share your thoughts and comments with hashtag brainfuzzpodcast. Now, get out there and fuse those dichotomies.